All right, take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door and we can begin. I'm actually going to begin by giving you the fill in the blank and then asking you a question. But you'll notice on your sheet that we are in part 13 of our wake up series through the book of Isaiah. If you are brand new to us, maybe since Easter, all those podcasts are free online. You can kind of catch up on the series, meet us where we're at. There's a bunch of series from the past. You can also listen to those, uh, download those onto your MP3 player. This morning's message is entitled, Waking Up to a Responsive God. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is simply this, prayer matters. Prayer matters. So real quick, show of hands, and I want, I want some honesty here, right? Because I will humiliate you if not, all right? Uh, we need some honesty. How many of you have ever struggled or are currently struggling with praying, really questioning what, whether or not it has any real impact? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay, so a good amount of you. The rest of you are liars. Praise the Lord. All right, fantastic. Now, if you're, if you're not a liar, this is, this is fantastic. If you're not a liar, then, then how come you're not showing up and praying more? Because if you really believe that that is, that is true, I think it's intriguing that we have monthly prayer meetings and there are only five women that are showing up there. So if you're a dude and you didn't raise your hand, uh, where were you? All right, so we need you there too uh, to be at the prayer meetings. The fact that we didn't even know we had prayer meetings is part of the problem. We, uh, we are not known as a house of prayer uh, at Bridgeway, but we will be. Uh, this, this place will be transformed into a house of prayer. How do I know that? Because that is what God is calling us to, and we will settle for nothing less. Our job is to submit to him and become what he desires us to be. We are not here for our own glory. We are here for his glory. We need to learn to pray and to pray intensely. I have zero interest in boring ritual prayer lives. That, that doesn't fascinate me at all. As a matter of fact, I find them to be more damaging than helpful. So we're going to talk about prayer this morning in depth. As a matter of fact, I actually have two sermons to preach to you. Because I have the passage we're going to go through, and then my enormous intro on prayer. Uh, some of you are going to say, there's no way we're ever going to get to the passage. We will. We're just going to go through it more rapidly towards the end. Because it is going to make a massive exclamation point on what we have talked about already. Some of you like to take notes. I'm the kind of guy that has to write it and listen for me to learn. Uh, feel free to do that. That's why we have the blank lines on your sheet. However, I'm going to be going things through things so rapidly that I will be also posting my notes online. Okay, so I'm going to give you online the 20-page version of what I'm going to be teaching this morning. So I would hope that you take a look at that and learn a little bit through that if you maybe missed anything that I'm going through. Here's the reality. The reality is that I'm learning how to pray. Uh, we are coming up on day 100. Uh, if, I, if you remember, I dedicated out that I was going to be doing our fasting by praying in the morning, and then I ended up amping that up afterwards. I'm learning right in front of you. Uh, I'm learning what it is to have a dynamic, exciting prayer life. I have yet to be bored, and we're coming up on day 100, because there's a whole different way of looking at prayer that I am learning. So I've been reading this book called Giving Ourselves to Prayer. I've talked to you about that before. That's edited and compiled by Crawford. 
and it's 80 articles on prayer from the big dogs of prayer. Well, in that, I've now gone through that twice, underlined it, uh, analyzed it, pulled out all the gems of it. And some of those are going to tell us some things that I'm going to share today. I'm going to share my experience. I'm going to share some things I already knew and then some things that I'm even now learning. So let's dive right into it. I want to talk about what prayer is. Prayer has two major pieces to it. The first one is supposed to be easy. The first one is communication with God. Just talking to God. And you go, well, I don't know if I know how to do that. Sure you do. You talk to God like you talk to anybody else. Eventually, you're going to know more about him and you're going to tailor your message accordingly. So you will start out by talking like you would with any other friend. You go, well, don't I need to use right words? You know what? No, not really. You just need to pour out your guts and your heart towards God. God, this is where I'm at. Talking to him throughout the day while you're driving, all the time you're at work, all the time you're at school, you're engaging with God saying, oh my goodness, Lord, look at what, look at those shoes she's wearing. Right? I mean, you can do that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? You know, he can figure it out. And he's like, I know, right? You know, that kind of thing. So, I mean, you just, you're, that's communication. That's relational. That is supposed to be easy for you. And that is the lifeline to all believers. So we need to be engaging with that at all time. When we talk about praying without ceasing, that's what we're talking about. An open communication with God at all moments. That is not something you need hyper strict training about. But there's another element of prayer that I'm going to speak to for the rest of our time. And that is advancing the kingdom of God by connecting with our heavenly father who can do anything and him unleashing his power through his people to steward his earth. That is complex. That is where we start getting a little bit lost. That's where we start saying, am I doing it right? Am I not doing it right? How does this work? Does it even matter? Can you change the heart of God? Can you change the mind of God? Uh, Are miracles possible? Why are some prayers answered and other ones not? Why do I got to keep praying about the same thing he heard me the first time? Right? These are all real questions. They're valuable questions. And I want to talk about how that works. I do not know how it all works, and I certainly do not know why it works. All I know is what Scripture tells us. And what Scripture tells us, we need to believe and lock into our hearts and allow the details to get sorted out along the way. So regardless of why, we know these things to be true. First one, you already know. God does not need our prayers to get things done. Can we all agree on that? Yes, we already know that. He is sovereign. He needs nothing from mankind. However, the second phrase I'm about to say is true as well, but it's even more shocking. He does not need us to get things done, but he chooses to use his creation to get things done. Now, you can all say, well, why does he? Why didn't he do it another way? I don't know. But I know it's real. It's always been that way. Any scholar's analysis of Lucifer, 
any biblical reading about how the heavenly host had a war in heaven, raged against God, and fell. We all seem to know in our Bibles that Lucifer fell because of one particular sin. What sin was that? Pride. Pride of what? What do you got to be proud about? If everybody's doing the same thing, you got nothing on anybody else. Why would you be proud about that? Why would you be arrogant about that? Unless you're doing something incredibly cool, you got nothing to be proud about. So what was he doing that was so extraordinary? Many scholars believe that he was God's pinnacle of his creation, the beautiful one, the one that ran his creation on God's behalf. As a matter of fact, the Bible indicates that it was because he carried out the awe-inspiring power of God through him that he started buying his own press, thought he was doing it all, began to say, wait a second, I don't even need the boss, I can take him. And that is when he fell. So it has been that way with the heavenlies that God used his creation to get things done in the heavenlies. When he created earth... The first thing he did with Adam was what? Put him to work. What did he tell him to do? Be fruitful, multiply, and what? Subdue the earth. I want you to rule over all fish of the sea, over beasts of the land. I want you to run my creation for me. I want you to manage what I've given you. I want you to tend the garden. I could do it without you. I don't want to. I want to do it through you. God has always desired to do things through his creation here on earth. If you want any ultimate proof of this, consider the incarnation of Jesus Christ. God could have saved mankind and redeemed mankind any way he wanted, but he chose to allow the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, to become flesh. And dwell among us. Why did Jesus have to become flesh in order to bring about the salvation of mankind? We could all look and go, well, because he had to be perfect, fully man to pay for the pay for the sins, but he had to be fully God so it could be infinite. But why? Couldn't God have done it another way? Of course he could. But he didn't want to. God has a desire to carry out and advance his kingdom here on earth. Through his creation, that's you and I. The way that he currently does it now is through his body of Christ. That's us. He does it now through the advancement of the kingdom of us carrying out his will and being aligned with him and carrying out his agenda. He does it through prayer. And this is what we need to understand. God is not limited by our prayers, but he is blessed by our prayers. God wants to work through our prayers. He has blessings that are hinged up in heaven, waiting to be released in power upon the earth, if only his children would ask. Now, sometimes, due to his intense love and grace, or forced by his overarching plan and will, he will do something regardless. But he would rather have us involved. Know this, many of us struggle with the idea that, man, when I pray, my prayers don't even get past the roof, and I feel like I'm doing nothing. If you are a child of God, if you are a believer, a Christian, however you want to say it, if you are born again, if you are regenerated and empowered by the Holy Spirit, 
you are always heard. Know this. You are always heard by God. Now, the answer can be yes, no, or wait. Unanswered prayer is a necessity of the Christian life. You will hear from your father, no. Because that's what good dads do. They don't always say yes. That is unhealthy for their children. So yes, you're going to pray about things and he's going to say no. You need to be all right with that. You need to understand that he knows better, that he has a bigger plan. We need to understand that he is working out what is appropriate and trust him in that. But you are always heard. Prayers can be hindered. When we talk about carrying out the power of God, when we talk about being utilized by God, when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, our prayers can be hindered. The Bible is very clear. And it can be hindered by a variety of things. I'll merely cite a few of them. Sin. Sin hinders prayer power. Why? The Bible says that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. What can you assume from that? The prayer of an unrighteous man is impotent. We got that? So, righteousness matters. Sin blocks. Other things can hinder prayer. Spiritual warfare. Doubt. Lack of faith. Bad relationships. Selfish desires. Harmful outcomes. Not aligning with Jesus' name. Right? These are things that can hinder prayer. As a matter of fact, as we're talking about hindered prayers, I believe that there is a danger in praying in this way incorrectly. Now you're going, great, Lance, thanks. I was already paranoid. I didn't want to pray in the first place. Now you're going to tell me I'm going to do it wrong. Now I really don't want to pray. Well, hold on, hold on. I think you'll understand what I, what I mean here in a moment. When we pray inappropriately, I will say immaturely, and nothing happens, we get discouraged and we give up. That's all I'm talking about. All right, so let's use an example. God, I want a pony. God, I realize I live in an apartment upstairs. But I would like a pony. I would like him to be black and shiny. I would like him to be a happy pony. I do not have money for his food, Lord. But I would like to have a pony because ponies are cute. And for that first couple days, until he dies of starvation, he will be... My pony. When you pray prayers like that, and God says, ha, huh, that's a stupid idea. I'm not giving you a pony, you moron. <laughs> then you go, see, I told you prayer doesn't work. I don't want to do this anymore. Nobody's listening to me. God's not there. When we pray inappropriately, not according to his word, we don't have any outcomes and we give up. That is very dangerous to the Christian life. Therefore, if we're going to pray, we need to pray appropriate, then figure out whether it works or not. But constantly doing it wrong and having no results is not telling you anything. God answers people, not prayer. Burn that one into your mind. God answers people, not prayer. Why? Because if you think he answers prayer, you're going to try to find the magic formula. If I only do this and do this and do this, if I can orchestrate this and this, I can make God move on my behalf. That is manipulative and it is wrong. It is an incredible insult to God 
When you start trying to play games, God, I checked all the boxes. I put all my stuff in a row. Now do what I told you to do. You understand how insulting that sounds? We're all buying into this. How do we know? Because we all use our tagline in Jesus name, right? Why do we do that? If we really mean in alignment with his will, God, your will be done, not our will. Lord, purify my prayers because I'm probably selfish and messed up. If we say in Jesus name, meaning we know that Christ's name is glorious and he is the power by which all things happen, then it is appropriate. If, however, you view it as the send button on your keyboard, I just typed out a message. God, give me a pony. And then you got to hit send in Jesus name. Amen. You send that one. Boom goes right to God, right? If you don't say the Jesus name, amen, you forgot to hit send. You might as well delete the email. You never sent it, right? Everybody know that? All right. That is that magic mantra. Got to get the right words. Got to have the right formula. Otherwise, my prayer is not going to be heard. The problem with that is we even do that when we are sick or when we're scared. Lord, I swear I will. Right. And we try to align all the right dots. And then we say, now you, Lord, you have to move because I did all the right things. I fasted. I did. It is not a formula. It is a person. God is a person and he answers people based on relationship. You do not need a right formula. You need a right heart and you need a right relationship with your God. And even then he may tell you no. If we are much with him, we can be much for him. What that means is all the power that you will have in your daily life will emanate from your time spent in your prayer closet. That which you pray and engage with God in secret will then become visible later on. Let's say, for example, you're walking down the road and you know somebody is demon possessed. You then say, I should do something about that. But you have spent no time focusing on God. You have spent no time saturating in his word. You know little to nothing about what he wants. You never happen to read that passage that says you don't want to cast out a demon if the person's life isn't going to be right with God. Because when it gets cast out, it goes around seeking a place to rest. When it does not find one, it grabs seven more powerful than itself and makes its home back in the original host. If you don't know that passage, you're immediately going to walk up and start trying to do demonic warfare. Hey, I have the authority of Christ. I'm going to kick this demon out. You know what? The demon may look at you and go, I'm sorry. I don't even know who you are. Do you remember that passage in scripture? Oh, we didn't read that one either. Well, that's a problem. My point is. If you are much with God in quiet, he then emanates his power outwardly in public. But if you are not with him, don't be surprised and shocked when there's not a lot of power moving when you want it to be. We always think that we can live like we want to live and then in the moment have the superpower charge of God. That is incorrect. If you want the results that Jesus had, you need to live the life that Jesus lived. And that's a whole different ballgame. God talks back. Here's why a lot of us do not pray. Okay, let's use an analogy. I invite you on a coffee date, right? If you're a guy, it's slightly awkward, whatever. 
I invite you on a coffee date and we're going to just talk. So I say, hey, let's meet at Caro's at seven o'clock. And when I come in and you're already sitting in the booth and I come across to you and you go, hey, Pastor Lance, it's nice to see you. And I just kind of nod. And then you go, so what's going on with Susie and the girls? Nothing. I just stare at you. Very awkwardly. So uh, what's happening at church? Nothing. Crickets. Just stare at you. How many times are you going to go out with me on that coffee date? That was a drag. That's awkward, and I feel totally insulted. Right? If I'm not talking back, it's rude. Yeah? And a lot of us will not pray because we walk into prayer and we say, So, God, what's up? How you doing? All right. So what's, what's going to be happening later on? And we stop praying. Let me give you a couple ideas on why that is, because God actually has a lot to say. He's communicated quite a bit through his word. As a matter of fact, he's talked so much, maybe it's your time to talk a little bit back. He's already shared with you, wrote you a love letter, and then you're supposed to respond to it. So even if he never said anything again, he's already communicated probably more than you have. However, I do believe that he continues to talk back. The problem is not that God is silent. The problem is that we are deaf and distracted. We can't hear God. God is not a loud talker unless he's angry. As a matter of fact, if God is angry, you will hear him regardless. But if God is not angry, he is a quiet talker. And he will not compete with the voices in your head. You have so much, and I have so much chaos flying through our minds, we couldn't hear him if we tried. You go, well, where did you get that idea? Elijah, in the cave. You know this story. Elijah's in a cave hiding. There's an earthquake, there's a firestorm, there's all kinds of craziness outside, and the Bible says, but God wasn't in any of those loud things. And then everything grew quiet, and in a still, small voice, he drew Elijah to the front of the cave, and he whispered, Elijah, what are you doing here? God is not going to compete with your busy, crazy mind. Well, great, so how am I ever going to hear him? Slow it down. Well, I can't do that. No, you won't do that. Well, there's no way. I mean, there's so much stuff going on. Why? Where is the quiet? Where is the solitude? Where is the silence? That's where spiritual disciplines come in. We need to slow it down because God only wants to talk to those that really want to hear. To those who have ears, let him hear. To everyone else, just keep being busy. Just keep doing your thing. I'm not going to compete. Do you want to hear me or not? I have been learning this a lot in my morning prayer times about the idea that I'll even ask questions from God on paper. And I'll just say, God, what about this? And if I'm saturated in his word, all of a sudden these thoughts, bam, fire right back into my head. And I'm like, wait a second. Is that legit? Was that me? That was what, you know, and I'm all freaked out, right? I don't know. Maybe that was it. And I'm writing it down and then I got to go back and double check it and check it against God's word. And, right? Because I'm always paranoid about making sure I'm hearing God right. But I will tell you this. The whole process of God firing thoughts in and engaging with him and going back and forth with him and all that, it is fascinating and it's wonderful. Is it all accurate? You know what? All of it needs to be checked against the word. 
All of it needs to be double-checked. But you know what? It's wonderful. God talks back. Prayer changes stuff. How? It connects with a father who can do anything. Can it change the mind of God? Can it change the will of God? Yes. Well, no, it can't. No, it can't. The Bible says that God never changes. God is immutable and all the theologians freak out. Listen, you read one verse and made a determination. How about reading the other verse that says, and God changed his mind on the prayers of a man. He said it about Joshua. He said it about a bunch of people. So yes, your theology needs to be systematic. It needs to work with all pieces of scripture, not just what you want to hang on to. Therefore, you need to realize that prayer does change things, and I'll give you at least three reasons on how God does that. The first one is simply this. Sometimes God is setting you up. What do I mean? God came to Moses one time, and he said, hey, how are things going with Israel? And Moses said, man, they are a drag. They are super hard to lead. They're all rebellious. They're all grumblers. Everything's a problem around here. And God said, you know what? I totally agree. I'll just burn them all. We'll start over. (laughs) He literally said, I will kill them all. And Moses is like, wait, whoa, 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 hold on. You can't just kill them all. No, 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 these are your people. And now you're going to look bad and and you can't do that. Please, God, if you're going to blot out their name, blot out my name from the book of life, you can't do this. And God goes, okay. Wait. Hey, you set me up. You were never going to kill him in the first place. He was leading Moses to get involved, but he said, I will kill them all. You go, well, God never changes his mind. Just did. When Abraham was hanging out by his tent, he has what I believe to be Jesus and two angels cruise by his tent. Where are you guys going? We're going to go kill Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, my, my nephew lives there. What, what if there's like 50 righteous people? All right, I won't kill them. Well, what about like 45? All right. What about like 30? Okay, I won't kill them for 30. 10. How long are we going to do this? Five? Fine. If there are five righteous people, I will not destroy the city. Okay. Well, that went well, Lord. Thank you. All right, fantastic. Have a great day. Right? And he destroyed them. Why? Because there was only one, and God knew there was only one. The whole time, he's baiting him into the thing, going, sure, you bet, whatever, man. What was the point? He was getting Abraham to own it and be a part of it, and Abraham was involved in that. But what happened was, through that one righteous man, the angels did come in and scoop up his daughters, and they got a chance to get out as well. Listen, sometimes it's a setup, but sometimes it's the real deal. God has two ways he can go. As a matter of fact, God probably has 35 ways that he can go. And he's leaning towards one, suggests that he's leaning towards one. And you pray and he goes, fine, I'll go the other route. Whatever, I can work through that too. He hinged it on your prayers. You go, wait, that's not, that's not possible. Yeah, it is possible. It's in your Bible. How do we know that? God said in Jeremiah, I was going to bring judgment upon Israel, and I sought for any righteous man in Israel to stand up and pray in intercession, and I found none. So I went forward with the judgment. No one would stop it by praying for it. God goes, I can roll either way. What do you want to do? 
Sometimes prayer literally alters the entire course of history. And finally on that, sometimes, many times, God has gifts in heaven waiting to be unleashed by prayer. God's going to do it. God wants to do it. And he's just waiting for you to pray about it. Going, come on, I want to bless my people. When Jesus sees the mass crowd come over and they're all hungry, you think Jesus was, what, shocked? That his disciples had to go, Lord, they're super hungry. They really need some food. He didn't know that? Of course he knows that. So what did he do? He waited for him to ask, right? Lord, how are we going to feed all these people? He's like, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> well, I don't know. We all don't have enough money and everything. Okay, what do you got? Well, this kid has a happy meal. Awesome. <laughs> Grab that, right? And then he breaks, he looks up into heaven because he knows his father wants to feed the people. He was just waiting for an ask. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Let go ahead and distribute these. Everybody's fed. Why? He has it hinged, waiting for it to be brought down in power by the prayer of his people. He wants to do it, but he would really love to do it through you. We close this portion with why do we need to keep praying about stuff if God already knows it, right? I mean, that's a big thing. I prayed about it once. It's not like God forgot. So why am I keep praying for this? Why do I got to pray for it over and over and over? I mean, there's even stories in the Bible about pray and do not give up. And you're going, why do I need to do that? Why am I trying to convince you, God? You're not trying to convince God. God's already convinced. Then why am I praying over and over? Because we're not in heaven yet. In heaven, everything is right. All God's will is being done. When Jesus Christ shattered the backbone of Satan and his demons, he began to press in his kingdom. But there's still warfare to be had. And there is still a storming of the gates of hell. And they will not prevail as his people march forward. But there's still gates to be broken down. That's why there's resistance. Daniel said, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. An angel shows up. Do you remember this story? The angel said, the moment you began to pray, I was dispatched. Why was I delayed? Spiritual warfare. Your prayers assisted in me breaking through all that garbage. And now I am here. But understand you were heard when you first began to pray. Why do we need to keep praying? Because you're breaking through obstacles and boundaries and difficult things. Why does it have to be that way? I have no idea. It just does. And God allows the warfare to wage back and forth and there's ebb and flow. Let me close with this story. Y'all remember the story when Joshua was fighting the Amalekites? He's fighting down in a valley and up on the mountain is who? But Moses. Moses, whenever he lifted his hands, they won. Whenever he put his hands down, they lost. Do you all remember that? You think this isn't a story about spiritual warfare? Raise your hands, they win. Put them down, they lose. Win, lose, win, lose. Win, lose, right? He gets exhausted because it's a long battle. Couldn't God have just shut it all down in five minutes? Yes, why didn't he? I don't know. Win, lose. Kind of silly, unless you understand what this stands for in a Jewish mindset. It stands for prayer. They stand and they raise their hands when they pray. We all bow our heads and fold our hands when we pray. You're reading an Eastern book. What do you think it was suggesting? You want them to win? 
Get your hands up. Let's start praying. And you know what? I'll move through it. I'll allow victory to happen. You put your hands down. Oh, look, now you're losing. That's a drag. Get your hands back up. Lord, I can't anymore. I'm exhausted. You have a buddy named her. You have a brother named Aaron. They'll hold your hands up with you. That's called corporate prayer. Are we all tracking on it? Amen. Let's turn into Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 36. Isaiah 36 for our second sermon in the last 10 minutes. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Isaiah 36 verse 1. We're going to learn about a king named Hezekiah, one of the greatest kings in Judah's history. Remember, there's a north and a south. The north had already been lost to the Assyrian Empire because of their sin. God let them get wiped out. Now the Assyrians had marched all the way to the capital of the south, where we begin our story. Hezekiah had led one of the greatest revivals in all of Israel's history. He led a revival. He became king when he was 25 years old. He reigned for 29 years. We begin the story in verse 1. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, we'll call him Sennacherib because it sounds better. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah. According to history, he says he conquered 46 walled cities, destroyed everybody, and then sent a message to the king of Israel. He took them. And the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh, that is the field commander, his kind of messenger guy, to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army to intimidate. Look at verse 4. And the Rabshakeh said to them, say to Hezekiah, your king, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? In other words, why have you not surrendered already? Verse 10, moreover, is it without the Lord that I've come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord told me, go against the land and destroy it. What does that mean? King of Assyria is going, what, you think I'm not here because of God? God's the one that told me to do it. Now, the irony is that he doesn't know what he's talking about, but God did tell him to come against Israel and destroy it for judgment. But not this time. Whoops. But he's not checking with God. But you know how many times Satan messes with our head? Did God really say that? Did God? I mean, he's been saying that since the garden. It always works. He messes with our head and goes, hey, do you know? I mean, didn't the Bible say that you're condemned as a sinner? And you're like, that's right. He's like, wow, that's a lot of guilt. Man, that's a lot of shame. Aren't you embarrassed? Why are you trying to pray? That's kind of stupid. Don't you think God's mad at you? The Bible says that God is all over sin, hates it. And if he hates sin and you're a sinner, I don't know, you put the pieces together. (laughs) Isn't that how Satan works? But what's the reality? God also said there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That if you confess your sins, you'll be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible continues to say that the blood of Jesus is more powerful than our sin stain. The Bible also says if we don't know the word of God, it's very hard to counter the lies. But he is indeed the father of lies and he'll continue to try. It says... In verse 11, then Judah's officials said to the Rabshakeh, please speak to your servants in Aramaic for we understand it. Don't speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. What does that mean? Hey man, you're killing morale here, dude. I understand you're the enemy and you're yelling at us, but can you talk to us in the the whole international language so that these guys don't get freaked out? Let's just talk men to men. 
He's like, what, do you think I didn't just come to scare them? What, you think I didn't talk to the men on this wall who are going to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? When I am done with your siege, that's what's going to happen to you. And it says, and then he stood up and spoke even louder, verse 13, to scare them in a language of Judah. And what does he say? Don't listen to King Hezekiah. He doesn't know what he's talking about and he's going to take you down. Look at verse 20. Who among all the gods of these lands that we've already taken over have delivered their lands out of my hand? Well, you think the Lord's going to deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? But they were silent and did not answer him a word for the king's command was do not answer him. The Bible says that we are equipped with a shield of faith. In the armor of God, we have a shield of faith. What does that mean? It means cling to what Jesus Christ has told you, and despite circumstances, believe it. Hold on to it. Do not give in to the lies. Verse 22. Then the three officials came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. Chapter 37, verse 1. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. Is that a good idea? Yeah. What do you do when things are bad? You run to the Lord. What do you do when things are good? You run to the Lord. Oh, we don't do that very often. We should. And he sent his men to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, verse 3. And they said to Isaiah, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of distress, rebuke, and disgrace. Why does King Hezekiah think it's a day of disgrace? Because this story is told in three different books of the Bible. Isaiah, 2 Chronicles, and 2 Kings. But only Second Kings includes the embarrassing story. King Hezekiah, the great man of revival, the godly king, caved the first time. It says that the king of Assyria sent a threat and he tried to pay him off. He took all the silver out of God's temple, stripped the gold off God's stuff, and mailed it out. And said, don't come and attack us. And the Assyrians took advantage of that. That's called a failure. You go, but I thought he was a good guy. He is a good guy. Good guys fail. Good guys have hard times. Good guys fail in their faith. Good guys have troubled spots. That's why we need a savior. It says, it may be. They were hoping, verse 4, that the Lord your God will hear the words of the king of Assyria, how he mocked the living God and will rebuke them for what he has heard. Lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. Isaiah said, you know what? I don't even know if I need to pray about this right now. I already talked to God about it. Verse 6, say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid of the words you've heard with which the young man of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I'll put a spirit in that king. He'll hear a rumor and return to his own land and I'll make him fall by the sword in his own land. Well, Assyria wasn't going to take that standing down. So they sent a letter to intimidate one more time. Verse 10. Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will be not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. That is a direct attack on God. You think they're not ticking God off? What happened when Goliath ticked God off? It doesn't go well. Sure enough, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers, verse 14, read it, and Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. You know what he said? God, you got mail. <laughs> I can't do anything about it. 
Yeah, they're going to kill me. I mean, they're great at killing everybody. They're going to kill me. Spread it out before the Lord. Lord, this is your problem. And look at the next phrase. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Listen to his prayer. This is extraordinary. Does this sound at all like your prayers or my prayers? A warrior God, Lord of hosts, God of Israel, our personal God who made promises to us and lives among us. You are enthroned above the cherubim, both in heaven and in our temple. You are the God, the supreme deity. You alone, not all these wannabe gods, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You run everything. You have made the heaven and the earth the creator and controller of our reality. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Turn your attention towards our problem that you might do something. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to all the nations in their lands and cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, the real God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. Pretty good prayer, yeah? He gets an A. I'll even give him an A+. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Look at the next phrase. You own this one. Burn it into your mind. Underline it. What does he say? Because you have prayed to me. Everything was hinging on this prayer. Because you have prayed to me. Does prayer matter? Absolutely. Because you have prayed to me. Concerning the king of Assyria, this is the word the Lord has spoken concerning him. Who did you think you mocked and reviled? Verse 24, by your servants, you have mocked the Lord. You got me in the fight. Now I'm going to take you out. You think no one stops you? Verse 26, have you not heard? I determine things. Verse 28, I know you're sitting down, you're going out, you're coming in, you're raging against me. Because you raged against me and your complacency has come to my ears, I'll put a hook in your nose. I'll put my bit in your mouth and I'll turn you back by the way which you came. Israel, this will be a sign to you. In three years, you'll be back to normal. Don't worry about this. The Lord of hosts will do this. Verse 33, therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he will not come into this city. He will not shoot an arrow there. He will not come before it with a shield or cast a siege mound against it. Verse 35, for I will defend this city. I will save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant, David. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, there were just dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed, returned home, lived at the capital of Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, 20 years later, Adramelech and Sherezer, his sons, struck him down with a sword. And after they escaped into the land of modern-day Turkey, Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. Just like God said. Does prayer matter? Intensely. Because you have prayed, I will shut him down. How much suffering is going on in our neighborhoods? How much wickedness is running the show? Because his prayer warriors 
sit silent and do nothing. I understand this world is going to hell. I understand that things are going to get worse before the return of Jesus Christ makes them right. But we are suffering a great deal extra because we do not trust God. Because we will not repent of our sins. Because we will not have vibrant prayer lives. If indeed we are connected to our Heavenly Father who has all the power of heaven, if He desires to bless His people, if He desires to set the captives free, and we are being called to unleash that power by prayer, what are we doing? Prayer matters. Let's close. Heavenly Father, forgive us. Forgive us for our prayerlessness. Forgive us for our wickedness. Lord, we have little power because we know you little. We do not spend time with you. We do not clean up our lives to be with you. And we allow ourselves to settle for less. Revive us, Lord. Reform us, God. Bring about in us your Holy Spirit's power that we might know you more and be who you designed us to be. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. The closing challenge this week is spend significant quality time with God this week. Not just interceding for others or begging for help, but to seek his will for your life right now. Is repentance necessary? And what's that going to mean for you?